It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You're Locked on Warriors Daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. The Warriors have an off day between playing the Nuggets, losing to the Nuggets, and playing the Kings in their last game before the All-Star break. And I went through a bunch of different ideas for what to do with this episode, and inspired by the events of this morning in particular, I decided to do a podcast that is not as Warriors-centric, but is Warriors-related, which is running through the teams that I think are the biggest contenders for the Warriors in terms of winning the championship, the biggest threats, and discussing where they are right now, where I expect them to be later in the year, and also what they could do at the trade deadline, because the deadline is nine days away, and some of these teams could be pretty significant factors in it. So I go, I'm going to go through the teams in the order of their threat. I think that's the best way to do this and go into a little bit on each one of them and why they're relevant to the Warriors and what they do well. Not a ton of time on each team, but a little bit. And unsurprisingly, that starts with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavaliers are 38-16. and 16. They're still first in the East for now. That could change due to stuff I'm going to talk about in a second. They have the fourth best offense, 20th best defense, and a plus 4.4 net rating, which means they're outscoring opponents by 4.4 points per 100 possessions. The big news for them in recent time and over the last month or so has been injuries. J.R. Smith is out with a broken thumb. The current estimate is that he will be back around mid-March. There's been some reporting over the last couple days that maybe he's a little bit ahead of schedule, but we'll have to see. And then today's big news is that Kevin Love is having a minor surgery on his left knee, and he's projected to be out four to six weeks. Four to six weeks, the back end of that puts him right at the beginning of April, which is very close to the beginning of the playoffs. So you never really know if there's a little bit of wiggle room with that if it takes him a little while to recover you're getting there and remember that that's when he can get on the court he won't be 100 percent for a little while after that and getting his stamina and everything else like that however a Warriors Cavs series would not start until June so the big question with Cleveland at this point is will they be 100 percent in June because they're still the favorites if they can stay remotely healthy they're still the favorites to win the East and come out of it and they won't need their full complement of players, at least in the first two rounds, to get through it. So if they can afford to wait and be patient with their players, they're still a huge threat for the Warriors because their top-end talent is just ridiculous. Kyrie Irving is one of the league's best one-on-one scorers. LeBron James is incredible. I mean, I don't need to tell Warriors fans about how good he is. So at their best, they're dangerous. They already made a move that I actually don't think helps them that much against the Warriors if J.R. Smith is healthy, which is giving up some assets and a lot of filler salary to get Kyle Korver from the Atlanta Hawks. They do not have much left in the way of assets. They have Chetty Osman, who's the guy they took in the second round a couple years ago, but they also have two small trade exceptions, about $4 million each. They could use those if Dan Gilbert wants to pay more money, and they also are a prime candidate for buyout guys just like the Warriors are so they could be they could get some players there and those guys could actually get playing time with the Cavs which is different than the Warriors but it depends on what that individual prioritizes so 
I still expect Cleveland to be the biggest threat to the Warriors because their high-end talent is there and they have enough depth if they're healthy. Some of their players are actually unfortunate matchups against the Warriors. Dunleavy being gone makes that different, but Corver hard to hide on defense. Channing Fry, you have to use him right. Kevin Love, assuming the, the last minute of Game 7 is not a harbinger of things to come, not the greatest defender on switches. So there are ways to take advantage of them. Their depth is still shaky. They spent money and roster spots early in the year on guys who weren't going to help them. They cleared a lot of those out with Mo, trading Mo Williams, trading Mike Dunleavy, trading Birdman. So they have more roster spots, but they still have to fill those. And so when they haven't done that yet, that's still a concern area. And you don't expect to get players good enough to impact of an NBA final series in those spots. It's possible. There are certain players who could affect it, but you never really know for sure. Tentatively, the team that I have in second is the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs have been the second best team in the NBA this year. They're 42-13, and 13, which is a great record, second in the West, fifth in offense, first in defense, second best net rating to the Warriors. What concerns me about their playoff viability, so this isn't concerns me about them with the Warriors, is that like in recent years, the Spurs are very reliant on their depth. They are an amazingly deep team. They have the best bench in the league. Their bench is actually absolutely killing opponents. Arguably the most beautiful basketball I've seen all year is the Spurs bench playing with Manu and when Deadman was there before Pau Gasol got hurt and Patty Mills and a lot of that. And some of that is because some of their better players actually come off the bench. And Pau Gasol has been out. He has a broken finger. Should be back in plenty of time for the playoffs. But that gets into the biggest question with the Spurs at this point, which is will Popovich use their best players in their best lineups. Last season, they fell to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Popovich waited too long to go to less conventional lineups that could have worked decently well against Oklahoma City. Kawhi Leonard playing power forward is the most obvious of those, and he relied a lot on the guys that have that brought him there, and that lack of flexibility is a problem not only against the Warriors, but against some of the other teams that they could face as the league is getting smaller and more skilled, especially considering he could start Tony Parker and Pau Gasol at the one and the five. So anytime you run a point guard center pick and roll, you're getting two bad pick and roll defenders in it. Well, Marcus Aldridge is talented, but he's not the greatest help defender in the world. So the fundamental piece of their off of their defense against a fundamental piece of any offense is really, really flawed. They have other guys. I said I like Dwayne Dedman. Manu Ginobili still awesome. Patty Mills is still awesome. So if they can figure out how to run the rotations, I think they have the third highest ceiling in the league still at this point. But the depth issue is certainly certainly worth watching. In terms of the trade deadline, they still have a lot of they have their own picks. They don't have a lot of extra picks. So that means late first round picks. And the big story there is that they don't really do these kind of moves in the regular season at the trade deadline. And also they don't have a ton in terms of matching salary. When Nate Duncan, Dan Feldman, Kevin Pelton, and I were doing the mock off the mock trade deadline, I was the Spurs and was trying to get Julio Okafor more as a flyer than anything else. And they don't even really have enough matching salary to do that. And he's on a rookie scale deal. They have more expensive players, but their more expensive guys are either very good, Lamarcus, Pau Gasol, all those guys. I don't know why I said Pau Gasol. I meant Kawhi. And or they are 
emotionally resonant or there's another issue, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker being the most notable among those. So I don't expect them to do anything big. They would probably need to unless Jonathan Simmons really busts out to be super dangerous to the Warriors. But Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green are two of the best perimeter defenders in basketball. So they're one of the only teams that can really make that work. And they have a lot of talent and they're a very well coached team. So I still have them as the second biggest threat, though that can change with time. And the biggest team that can change that is probably a surprise to some people of who I have third is the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are 34-22, and 22, currently fifth in the West by a hair, by a half game over another team that will be on this list. They're 12th in offense, second in defense, with a plus 5.3 net rating. And the Jazz have been absolutely crazy good when their best players have been available. They have only played 555 minutes this year, 25 games, with George Hill, Gordon Hayward, and Rudy Gobert on the floor. They've outscored opponents by 13 points per 100 possessions during those stretches, which is quite good. And the Jazz are deep. They're deep in ways that are that is really helpful for a playoff rotation. Their perimeter depth is they have George Hill, Rodney Hood, and Gordon Hayward as their starting one, two, and three. Joe Ingles, who has done well against the Warriors. Joe Johnson, who's very good coming off the bench. They're still figuring out their backup point guard situation. And then at the big man spots, they're a little bit of a question mark with Boris Diaw, Trey Lyles, but Derek Favors is really good and they can go small. Quinn Snyder hasn't done that very much. Their weaknesses are backup point guard, health, of course, and that Quinn Snyder hasn't been the most flexible coach. They don't have great personnel for running, but they still run just about the least in the NBA, which is very frustrating because they could pick up some easy baskets. Rudy Gobert is a monster on the defensive end, so they create opportunities to run through shot blocks, through rebounds, and through defensive stops. They're the second best defensive team in the league, and they still don't run very much. So the Warriors can take advantage of that and run on them at the same point because the Warriors' transition defense is the worst part of their defense. So that is an issue. But Utah, at full strength, if they can ever get there, is an incredibly good team. I think in terms of pure talent, they're right up there with the Cavs in terms of the second best team and the second best five-man lineup you can put out there in the NBA. So that's why they get this spot on the list. We've never seen that group together for a sustained period of time, so you are arguing in the abstract. And they don't have a ton of playoff experience. And the real history there is that teams with that sort of legacy generally putter out a little bit early, and then they use that experience to get better in future years. The Jazz also have cap space, about $13 million last I checked, but they're more likely to use that to pay one of their current guys. They can actually renegotiate and extend either Derek Favors or George Hill. So basically just pay them more money this year and sign them to an extension because they have cap space, and maybe that reduces their price in a future year. And they have a bunch of draft picks, not only their own, but they have the Warriors' first-round pick this year, and they have a future pick from Oklahoma City from when they traded the Menace Canner. So they could do a win-now move, but it would probably be for a cost-controlled asset, and those are always hard to come by because they don't want to pay a ton in the luxury tax in future years. They just got gave Rudy Gobert a big extension that'll kick in. Presumably, as I talked about, they're going to give a raise to one of their other guys. And Gordon Hayward, if he comes back, which the expectations are that he will, he's going to want some money too. So I wouldn't expect them to go out and get a $10 million a year player, even though they have that cap space, because that doesn't fit their MO. It doesn't fit what they're really looking for. Again, I'm a big believer in the Utah ceiling. I think they could be a really good team, a threat for the Warriors. They've already played the Warriors well. And also a big question with Derek Favors not looking all the way like himself yet, 
is can Rudy Gobert stay on the floor when the Warriors go small? If he can't, they'll need Derek Favors to do that. If Derek Favors can't do that, they're going to have some real problems because those are really their only two defensive centers that can do a whole heck of a lot. Jeff Withy is not the answer in those circumstances. So a lot of big questions for the Jazz to put them this high, but their ceiling makes it worth it. Next team is another one the Warriors have plenty of experience with, the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are 40-17, and 17, third in the West, second best offense, 12th defense, plus 6.2 net rating, which I believe is third in the West and fourth or something like that in the NBA in general. The Rockets' offense is awesome. They look to me at this point like a classic six-game series against a great team with the Warriors where they can pick up a couple of games just due to their immense talent and then not and if you consider that putting a scare in a team putting a scare in a team their starting five is really really good and their rotation is going to be great in the playoffs because they're they have Hobbit high-end talent James Harden Clint Capella Eric Gordon Patrick Beverly you know all these guys are good players Ryan Anderson has done wonderful wonderfully for them and then they have enough in their full strength rotation to fill the other spots with rotation caliber guys. Sam Decker's having a great year. Nene is an amazing depth piece for them. Another one of the guys with Deadman that the Warriors could have gotten for the room mid-level exception. All three of those guys have actually worked out very well for their team. So that's, that's kind of fun. That makes Houston dangerous, but not super dangerous. I don't think their defense has the ability to be incredibly destructive. So they will need the best on the offensive end. They could get a little bit better at the deadline. They have their own picks and some salary flexibility, but they're a really good drafting team, and they also could clear enough money later on, or now, I guess, to become players in the offseason, not for like a max guy, but for a starting caliber player. And so Daryl Morey, their GM, probably wouldn't make a win-now move unless it accomplished a lot of goals at the same time, and it's very likely that that won't happen. So I would expect them to stand pat or close to it, but Morey is great at finding value, so we'll see if he can actually pull something off. Next up is the Clippers, team the Warriors know, again, very well, 34-21, fourth in the West, 7th in offense, 14th in defense, plus 3.9 net rating. The reason they're here, and you could make an argument that they should be higher on this list, is their starting five is still awesome. Starting five is outscoring teams by 16.2 points per 100 possessions when they've been on the floor. They just haven't had that starting lineup out there very often because Chris Paul's been hurt for a while now. Blake Griffin was hurt for a while before. They dealt with other kind of knickknack stuff with other guys except for DeAndre Jordan, who is basically a Superman at this point, doesn't really get hurt. And the other reason they're lower is because while they have this really good starting five, it does not mesh well with the Warriors. Draymond Green has defended Blake Griffin well for years. DeAndre could do a nice job against the Warriors, but at this point, they don't have a ton of perimeter defense other than Chris Paul. Gouchard and Bamute has a nice year, but the Warriors basically choose not to defend him, and that makes Doc Rivers go crazy. And unless he hits a bunch of threes, they'll probably try other people like they did in the Warriors' demolition of them the first time out. They tried Wes Johnson, they've tried other people, and they don't have anybody to make it work. There is an outside chance that they trade for Carmelo Anthony, who has been rumored that he would waive his no-trade clause with the Knicks to go there. It's very, very hard to make a trade work there due to some salary cap constraints. The Clippers are actually hard-capped, so they can't add much salary, and they don't have much in the way of assets. They have a lot of players that are on expensive contracts, and those are either players that they want to keep, like Chris Paul and DeAndre, or players that 
aren't that valuable. Jamal Crawford is good, but he's getting paid too much money. They did that because they couldn't really get better. So another team isn't going to sit there and go, oh, well, we want that guy and we'll give, we'll, you can combine some of your things to get something better. They do, I don't think they can trade a pick before like 2021. They could do that though because Doc Rivers is their coach and team president, definitely in the win now mode. I'm also not completely sure whether a mellow trade would make them that much better against the Warriors unless Doc fully embraced a, a stagger where some of those guys are going to be on the floor at all times because Mello and Blake Griffin overlap a lot. They're both good players, but they overlap a lot. And Chris Paul is the best guy on their team, one of the best guys in the entire league with the ball in his hands. So I wouldn't expect that to work perfectly and they would be adjusting on the fly. So the Clippers at their best, certainly still a really good team the second to last team to beat the Warriors in a playoff series. We lose sight of that a little bit now, but that is technically true. And so worth watching, certainly a rivalry between those two teams, just in terms of personal animosity. And they could put together a good series, very possible in the in the second round if they stay in the 4-5 mix, depending on how they can do now. But as Memphis and Oklahoma City haven't really pushed them too hard, assuming Chris Paul gets back in time, I think they'll be in that 4-5 series, but not high enough to catch the the Rockets because they're still, I think they're five games behind them right now. And that's a lot to make up when the Rockets are playing well. Last up is Boston. Boston makes the list because of what they could be, not what they are right now. They are the second best team in the East right now. They could end up with home court due to the Kevin Love injury. And if Cleveland just says screw it and starts resting their guys a little bit, Boston is sixth in offense, 19th in defense, plus 3.4 net rating. So their their net rating is the worst of all the teams that we've discussed. And they've been relatively healthy. I mean, they had that stretch at the beginning of the year when Jay Crowder and Al Horford missed time. They were worse then, but they don't have the defensive horses right now to be really, really good against a team like the Warriors, who has so many threats because Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder are both great, but they don't have enough kind of outside of that, especially in the starting lineup, because they're either going to go offense heavy with one of their other like Kelly Olynyk, or defense heavy with Amir Johnson, who the Warriors don't have to guard. Also, they have a huge problem on the defensive glass. And depending on how the Warriors structure their lineup, Zaza Pachulia, JaVale McGee, other players just darting in can do well on that and just smoke them on second possessions. That was true last year and Boston still had a good defense. Or, sorry, that was true with the Hawks, Al Horford's last team, and they still had a good defense. Atlanta actually had the best defense in the league the second half of the year, but it's still a rarity to see that happen. The reason Boston makes this list, though, is because they have a ton of assets. They then and the Sixers have the most assets in the league. And the difference is that the Celtics have a lot of really good players on top of it. So if they wanted to push a lot of those chips into the middle and get Jimmy Butler, get theoretically Paul George, I don't think he's on the block, they could make that sort of an offer, an offer a team would have to consider. And if they did that, especially using future assets, they have two picks from the Brooklyn Nets. They have a bunch of young players that are good. Then they become this serious contender, especially if Cleveland is in full strength. And I still don't think this would be the year for them to threaten the Warriors, but you don't write off a team that has as many assets as they do. And I don't expect Boston to do this because it's not their GM, Danny Ainge's MO, but they could also trade some of their less great assets, like their own pick next year, to get more of a win now guy, especially with Cleveland looking a little bit weaker. You could see them go in a different direction and just, you know, I don't know exactly who that would be, maybe Taj Gibson, something in that realm. 
somebody who actually is a good defender, but the Warriors would just leave open on the other end. They could get better in that way, get more dangerous without giving up something long-term. But again, that's not what Danny Ainge does. A team worth watching moving forward, especially if they keep the Brooklyn pick and ends up being number one. I'm a big fan of Markel Fultz, but even then it's going to take him time to figure it out. And Isaiah Thomas is getting older. Amazing player, amazing story, all-star, everything like that. Outside of those teams, I don't really see much of a threat unless Toronto really figures it out. The Raptors have been going into a kind of a slide at this point, but they just added Serge Ibaka today for Terrence Ross in a first-round pick. I think he will make them better. He certainly elevates their ceiling because they can space the floor a little bit and defend better when they use him in some different configurations. But Lowry and DeRozan would not be a great combo against the Warriors. They don't have strong perimeter defense. DeRozan is a bad defender. Jamari Carroll isn't what he was a few years ago, and he's 30 now. He's getting a little bit older. And then the other team, I guess, that would be considered is the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are an amazing offense. They're best with their starting five, but their bench kind of sucks. They've been a little bit better at this point at this point in the year, but better is not still good. And in terms of personal matchups, they don't really have a guy to defend Kevin Durant. John Wall would have to up his game from where he's been this year to defend Stephen Curry. So if the Wizards stay in the mix, I can do a preview of them later on. And the Wizards probably, if they made a move at the deadline, it would be to get deeper which would help them in the regular season and a little bit in the playoffs, but not so much against a team like the Warriors. So that's where I see the lay of the land right now. I don't expect many of the teams at the top to improve significantly. The Raptors getting Serge Ibaka is, by by my estimation, the biggest move that will happen with any of those teams. Cleveland will try to get better on the periphery, and Boston, who knows? Like, they're the other team that could get in this mix. The Clippers might make a big move, but I'm not sure that will help them as much against the Warriors unless they just run the cupboard bare in terms of future assets and were able to get mellow with basically filler. If they could do that, then yeah, they would be they would be quite good because they would be upgrading it small forward without giving up a whole heck of a lot. I don't expect that to happen either. So the big X factor in all of this is still Cleveland, has been for the last two years, will be again, probably will be again next year. But I'm excited to see where all this goes. And then the Warriors will probably not be factors on the trade market, but certainly will be factors on the buyout market. Briante Weber just got his second 10-day contract. And a little CBA wrinkle is that a 10-day contract isn't actually a 10-day contract. It's 10 days or three games, whichever is longer. And due to the All-Star break, three games is longer. So the Warriors will have him until their February 25th game against the Brooklyn Nets. At that point, It's not definite, but there's a very real chance that the Warriors will know the scope of the buyout market because the trade deadline will have already occurred by that point, but the players have to be bought out by March 1st, so they might not know everything, but they'll have a much better idea. I hope that they, knowing what we know now, that they sign Weber for the rest of the year, maybe even some sort of team option for next year, but plenty of time to evaluate that when the time comes, and I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing where they go moving forward and where all these other teams do because... I think there will be movement around the league, but it might not be at the top end just because some of the teams want to keep their powder dry and other teams don't have a lot of powder left. So that is my estimation. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. I read everything, respond to what I can, and we'll have another show on Wednesday night about the Kings game, the Warriors against the Kings. The Kings won tonight against the Lakers in LA. We'll see how how much energy they have against the Warriors, who probably want to beat them considering 
They also want to keep up their not losing back-to-back games and moving into the All-Star break with some momentum. So we will see that at that point. And then I will head early the next morning to New Orleans for All-Star. If I get enough content to put out an episode, I absolutely will. If I do not, then we will have to see. I'll also have to check out the wireless where I'm staying. So that is all kind of running together. But thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.